All right, well, this morning, let's take our Bibles and let's go to Jonah chapter 4. All right, Jonah chapter 4, as we're marching ourselves through this little book of the Bible, we're coming very close to the end of it. Of course, we're in the last chapter of this, of this little book of the Bible. But as you find your place there, if you're having a little trouble finding it, go to Exodus, go to Leviticus, Jonah, Revelation. It's right there in the middle of all that, all right? But uh, as you find your place there in, in Jonah, be reminded that when you come to Jonah, most people are familiar with the story of Jonah and the whale. And that story is the most familiar one, of course. And I want you to know it's very true and it's very exciting. But understand this book is more than just that. It's more than just a story about a man and a great fish. It's more than, a, than just a story of a Jonah and the whale. There's so much more to learn in this little book of the Old Testament, there's so much to learn about Jonah, yes. Much to learn about Nineveh and other things, absolutely. But be reminded, the greatest thing we learn, of course, of all of Scripture, but the greatest thing we learn in this little book of the Bible is about the greatness of our great God. That's what we really learn from Jonah, this book of, of the Bible. We learn about the greatness of our God, His great mercy and His care, His great kindness and power. His great love and forgiveness, His great compassion and second chances that He gives, and so much more. It's amazing, listen, it's amazing to see our God in every detail of the story of Jonah. So be reminded once again that Jonah is more than about Jonah and the whale. No, it's more, has more to do with Jehovah and His ways than it does Jonah and the whale, all right? So this book is more about God than it is about a big fish. So keep that in mind as you continue to study and read through this little book together, all right? But so far as we've come to Jonah, we know, we know that Jonah was given a command from the Lord, and that was to what, church? That was to? You got it by now. Uh, that was to go. He was to go to Nineveh and preach to them. But for one reason or another, we know that he disobeyed God's clear command and rebelled against God's clear will for his, for his life. But in the midst of our rebellion, we know the Lord does not just leave us there to wallow in our rebellion. No, we know that God begins to deal with us. And He does so, as always, in love and for a purpose. Because God still had a purpose for this stubborn servant. He still had a purpose for His prodigal prophet. He still wanted him to go and preach to Nineveh. So God began to deal with him and deal with him more fully. And as God did so in chapter 1 and chapter 2, we see that Jonah finally did this. He finally cried unto the Lord. He finally began to pray. He finally turned to God. He finally did this. He repented and got right with his God. And after he repented and got right with the Lord, Jonah discovered some things that still remain true in his life. He, he, he figured out and discovered that God's mind and God's will for him hadn't changed. He still wanted to use him, still wanted to reach Nineveh. So Jonah, with a recommission from the Lord and armed with fresh mercy and forgiveness and fresh purpose, he marches into Nineveh and begins to preach to the people, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I believe he preached that and probably added even in there that he preached salvation is of the Lord because he made that great statement in chapter 2 and verse number 8. Salvation is of the Lord. He preached to the people of Nineveh. And as Jonah obeyed, as he preached the message, something amazing happened in the city of Nineveh. 
And we took note that a revival, a evangelistic campaign like none other took place in a large city of thousands of people, even possibly up to a million or two people in this city turned to God in true, real revival broke out. And be reminded of that story of Nineveh, of these people turning to the Lord. Listen, this is not a made-up story. It's not just some made-up story to stir our hearts. No, no, no. It's an actual history. It really happened. This has actually happened. Multitudes of people were saved, and yes, it does still stir me, even as I think about it. But a revival broke out. Multitudes came, came to Christ. But as it came to chapter 4 last Sunday... Uh, One might think that Jonah would uh, be on cloud nine after this amazing experience of seeing multitudes of people come to Christ. And you would think that you'd find Jonah praising the Lord. But we quickly found out as we came to chapter 4 and verse number 1 that uh, that's not what happened. That Jonah was not joyful at all. We did not find a pleased prophet. No, he was quite unhappy. Actually, the Bible says he was very angry. He was an angry individual. We found a prophet of God who was full of wrath and full of rage, and his anger and rage clouded his mind. It clouded it, and these three main uh, uh, areas in his life, as you consider the context of Jonah uh, as a whole, but especially chapter 3 and chapter 4. But it clouded his mind concerning the liberation of Nineveh. He was so mad that these people got saved, so mad at God that he would turn from his fierce wrath to these people, so mad. It clouded his mind with that. It clouded his mind even concerning the Lord himself. He was so mad at God. He had a head uh, full of the knowledge of God, but he was missing the very heartbeat of God to reach these people. And anger, listen, clouded his mind concerning the Lord and also clouded his mind concerning life. He was so angry that he wanted to die. His anger clouded everything. I want you to know something. Be reminded once again. Anger will cloud our minds as well. We will do and say some very silly things, foolish things we'd never wish we'd have done or said. Do not let anger control you. You, you control anger. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. Never forget it. So we saw here, as we come to chapter 4, the resentment of Jonah. But then I want to see this, all right? As we come back to chapter 4, I want to see this. I want to see the Lord's response. The Lord's response in chapter number 4. As we consider the Lord's response, I really, what I really hope you grasp this morning is just how good God is. All right? That's why I'm thankful for the songs that were picked out this morning, just kind of highlighting how good, really, the Lord is. But I want you to grasp that. Uh, just how good God is, just how kind He is, especially even dealing with a... Uh, contemptible servant such as, such as Jonah. For, for we will see God's great care and compassion and love and mercy even for Jonah in this moment of his resentment. Jonah's so self-centered, so self-absorbed at this moment, so angry. Even if at this time, God will show his great care for, for him and deal kindly with this man. So let's look at it again. Jonah chapter 4 this morning. Jonah chapter 4, and uh, let's just start in verse number 1 again. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? 
Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Look at verse number 4. This is basically where we're going to park the rest of the time. Verse number 4. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? Doest thou well to be angry? Our Father, as we consider this question this morning, this verse this morning, I pray that you would help us and highlight and show us, convict us where we have sinned against you, especially in this matter of anger and other areas of life, as we consider convicting questions that you pose through your word and use others to do a work in our life with those same questions. We love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we see the response of Jonah. The first thing I want you to, or the response of the Lord, sorry. The response of the Lord, the first thing I want you to see is this. Number one, how God responded. He responded with this. Number one, a convicting question. A convicting question. Look at it again, verse number four. Then said the Lord, God responding to him, doest thou well to be angry? He was saying, is it, is it good, a good thing for you, Jonah, for you to be mad about this? Is it right for you to be angry about Nineveh and what, what I did for them and for them turning to me? Is it, is it wrong? Is it, is it wrong for me to show them great kindness? Is it right for you to be angry about it? Uh, does this anger, Jonah, make you a happy person? <laughs> is it making you happy? Jonah, do you, do you draw some happiness, some joy? Do you make it well with yourself from this anger are you just happy happy by the anger that's controlling you the lord is asking him a very personal question here no doubt i believe it'd be a very convicting convicting one as as well but this question would be like this as you get so mad you pitch a fit and you go into such a rage that you would throw things or scream or yell maybe you did that last night when the tar hills lost but anyway sorry sore subject should have said that but maybe you go into such a fit I'm just joking, people. All right, it's okay. Well, maybe you go in such a fit and such a rage and just get absolutely mad. And then while you're in the midst of that anger, angry fit, someone looks at you and says, well, did that make you happy? <laughs> Are you happy now? That little fit of yours make you feel better? And of course, it never does. You're not happy it probably make you more angry. But when the Lord asks Jonah here, doest thou well to be angry, he is not saying so in a smart aleck way. He is not doing this to be condescending. As sometimes someone asks questions like that to us. They do mean it that way, sarcastically. But God's not being sarcastic here. He's not trying to make him look dumb or make him more angry. No, he's asking him a question for a reason. To get Jonah to think about his reaction to what God has done. To get Jonah to think of what Jonah is saying. To get Jonah to think of how he is responding, of what he is doing. The Lord is asking this question to try to get Jonah to do some introspection, all right? And to get Jonah to consider the error of his way in order to correct that error. So understand this question is a question of conviction, but for a purpose because God always has our best interest in mind but it's for a purpose let me ask you 
Have you ever had someone ask you a question before and the Lord used that question to convict you, to cut down deep to the root of a problem or a sin maybe you're going through and all you know about it, but someone asks you a question maybe from a friend or from a family? Uh, many of you no doubt have had someone ask you a question and it just cuts down, cuts down deep. Those questions are very convicting, are they not? But the real question I want to ask you is this. How'd you respond to said question? How'd you respond to that? Did you respond in humility, knowing it was the Lord working through them, putting His finger on an issue in your life, God using that? Or did you ignore it like Jonah did? When we come to verse number 5, listen, he didn't respond at all. The Bible simply says, so Jonah went out of the city. He ignored it altogether. And I don't want to get ahead of myself here because we're going to see how John responded to, to all this. But before we go on, I just wanted to ask you, how do you respond to convicting questions in your life? How do you respond to the conviction of the Lord? Because understand something plainly this morning. Conviction is a very good thing. The type of conviction I'm talking about this morning is this, when, when we are doing wrong or when our wrongdoing or sin comes to light, either by the Holy Spirit working in your life and showing you, as the Bible says in John 16, 8, and when He, that's the Holy Spirit, is come, He will reprove. That word means to convict with the purpose of correcting, all right? He will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. How do you respond to when God shows you and convicts you of wrongdoing? Or how do you respond when, when God uses somebody else to point that out as well, such as, such as Nathan to David, right, in the Old Testament? How do you respond to something like that? How do you respond to the conviction that God brings in our life? Listen, it's through that conviction we will see our sin of the, like the ugliness that it, really, that it really is. And though conviction can hurt, understand, the sting of it in the moment it can lead to a repentant heart and change of mind to change our ways. And again, this is the whole reason for true, real conviction. Not to condemn us, but to change us. That's the reason behind it. But how do you respond to it? How do you respond to it? When He has come, He will, the Holy Spirit will reprove, convict for the purpose of correction. How do you respond to it? So I want to tell you that conviction is a good thing and we need it. You know why? Because we ain't arrived yet. Anybody here perfect? Please raise your hand. Okay, good. I was going to say thank you for being here from heaven. We appreciate your presence among us, all right? But anyway, none of us are perfect. None of us are, including me. I promise you, your pastor is not. None of us are perfect. We have some rough edges and some of us have some rough edges that are so bad you spell rough R-U-F-F. That's how bad they are. <laughs> rough edges. Some of us have some rough edges. But it's questions like this as we come to them as we read our Bibles and we study the Word of God that, that like this right here where he says, doest thou well to be angry. Questions like this that can be so convicting. And listen, we need to be thankful for them. We need to be thankful that God wants to work in your life and in mine to make us more like His Son, to bring us more to the image of Jesus Christ. And He does so through conviction to try to help knock off those rough edges, to try to help change to change us. We need, we need it. You know, as I was thinking along these lines of convicting questions in Scripture, there are so many we can go to this morning and see just how they challenge us and convict us and hopefully change us. But what questions come to mind as you think of questions in Scripture that have really challenged you or convicted you? Think about it for a moment. 
Think about it for a moment, all right? Somebody play Jeopardy, Jeopardy music real quick. Somebody help me now. No, I'm just kidding. But think about it for a moment. There is a question that comes to my mind, often, by the way, that is so convicting. It challenges me every time I think about it. And it's this question. I want to share it with you quickly. This question is found in Genesis chapter 18, verse 14. When the Lord looks at Abraham and says this, Is anything too hard for the Lord? It's a question he asked him. It didn't really demand a response. It's rhetorical, but but it's a great question. And it's one that I must ask myself often because this is the question of personal trust and faith and God. Because understand in the context of that question in Genesis chapter 18, the Lord is having a meeting with Abraham. And in that meeting, the Lord told, promised to Abraham, he says, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah, thy wife, shall have a son. Genesis 18 verse 10. But as the Lord was, was telling this to Abraham, uh, Sarah overheard. Sarah overheard their conversation as she was at the door of the tent. And Sarah did this. The Bible says, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord, speaking of Abraham, being old also. In Genesis 18, verse 12. Listen, Sarah knew that they were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah as the manner of women, meaning she, she could not have children. There was no way. It was humanly impossible. Genesis 18, verse number, verse number 11. So since it was humanly impossible, no wonder she chuckled within herself. No wonder she laughed within herself. But why does she do that? Why does she laugh within herself? Here's why. Listen carefully. Because she was only thinking of the possibility of this promise of God through the lens of herself and not God. She was only thinking of this promise to have children through her and Abraham's strength, not The Lord's. Therefore, the Lord, knowing their unbelief, knowing their lack of faith from the heart of Sarah, and yes, even Abraham, her husband, the Lord asked this very convicting question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? They thought this was too hard. It's not possible. It ain't going to happen. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And of course, as this question is asked, it does demand a resounding no because it's a rhetorical question, meaning no. There's nothing too hard for you, Lord, because you are the Lord. You are Jehovah. You are the I Am. You're the self-existing one. You're the God of heaven and earth who took the dust of the ground and breathed into it the breath of life. This is not too hard for you, for nothing is. Nothing is too hard for you, Lord. Listen, He can do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or even think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 through 21. He is more than able. There's nothing too hard for Him. So listen, every time I'm tempted to think, this can't be done. There's just no way. Uh, There's no way that these friends and family that I've been praying for and witnessing to for years, there's just no way they'll ever come to church. There's just no way they'll ever come to faith in Christ. It just can't be done. There's just no way. 
Is anything too hard for the Lord? Lord, this vision is just too big to, to go forward and do all these things for you. Lord, it's just it's too big. How are we going to get the money for this? How are we going to get the money for that? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? Lord, it's just impossible. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Listen, when my mind is flooded with doubt and unbelief, I must. I'm just, I'm just testifying this morning. I must. I must fill it with this question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And I want to encourage you to do the same. When your mind is flooded and filled with doubt and lack of trust and faith in God, I pray that God will bring this, this question to your mind. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard? So this question the Lord posed to Jonah was a convicting question and it should have caused him, Jonah, to get his eyes off of himself and onto the Lord just as the question he posed to Abraham and Sarah should have done the same. I'm asking God to help me. God, help us with these questions this morning. Get our eyes off of us and our inability onto the Lord and His all-sufficiency. We need Him. God is more than able to do great and mighty things. We know not. Is anything too hard? Anything too hard for the Lord? So we see this question as God responds. It's a convicting one. But I also want you to see this quickly. This question is not convicting, but I want you to know it shows the great care of God too. It shows His great care. What do you mean by that, preacher? Well, we know that Jonah was fiercely angry, all right? Angry with the Ninevites turning to the Lord for mercy. Angry with God turning, his, uh, turning from His wrath and showing great kindness to the Ninevites. He was fiercely angry about all this and pitched a royal fit in verses 1 through 3. And uh, as we look at this, if this was us, if this was us, wouldn't you want to, um, I don't know, uh, Flick this down-in-the-mouth, pouting prophet off the face of the earth. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to be around that all the time, right? I mean, come on. I mean, wouldn't you want to do that? Just flick him off the face of the earth like you're flicking off a sticky booger off your finger? I mean, that was gross. I am so sorry. I should not have said that. All right. Sometimes it's just, forgive me, all right? But just, mm, just man, enough of you. That's, that's crazy, man. Stop it. I mean, wouldn't you want to do that? Aren't you glad you're not God and I'm not God? I'm glad. I'm glad for that. But we want to put up with this pouting all the time. And we definitely wouldn't look at him and treat him with care and compassion and concern. But listen, be reminded who our great God is. Remember, that's what John is trying to show us here. This book is trying to show us of the greatness of our great God. In verse number 2, He is gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, of great kindness. And that's not just to the wicked Ninevites, that's also to the stubborn servant as well. And it shows His great care and mercy. Once again, here, as He responds to this, to this prophet Jonah, Instead of responding to John in wrath and punishment and just a, a woodshed whooping, <laughs> he doesn't do that. He responds in care. By looking at him and saying, Doest thou well to be angry? It's a very concerning, care, uh, caring question. He's trying to get John to think about what he's doing and thinking and saying in this moment. I'm thankful this morning, even though we do not deserve it, that God still operates in care and compassion and concern, even for us, 
believers who may not always walk in sweet fellowship with him, he still operates in care and compassion. Not just once, not just twice, but over and over and over again. I'm thankful that the Bible still says in Lamentations 3, 22 through 23, is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Remember, I encourage you to see, when we first started looking into this, I encourage you to see the Lord in every detail of this book. Because you can find it. This little book is more about Jehovah than it is about Jonah. So I want to encourage you, let this response of the Lord show you today His great care. Yes, for Jonah. Oh yeah, but make it personal. You've got to make an application to yourself. His great care for you. For you too. So let this response of the Lord, this simple question that He has, point you and draw you to the God who loves and cares for you the most. So listen, the Lord responded to Jonah, his sin of anger. He responded to the foolish, foolish outbreak that he had with a simple question. Doest thou well to be angry? Man, this question. So convicting. But it shows God's great care. We can look over and over and over in Scripture. At time and time again, how God, in love and great care, responded the same way to His own. To the disciples, other Old Testament prophets, time and time again. So I wonder this morning, has God brought a question to your mind? Is it one that is convicting you? Because listen, if He is, He's just trying to show once again He cares for you. He wants to help you and draw you closer to Him. So please, we'll see it next time. I'm out of time. I want to really finish it up, but we're out of time. But please don't respond like Jonah. Just ignore it. See, his response is one of contempt, one just ignoring authority, ignoring God's working in his heart and life, and he just storms out of God's presence and sits on the hillside in hopes to see that God changes his mind and the wrath of God falls upon Nineveh. Man, don't ignore the Lord. If he's working in your heart and life, I encourage you once again, as always I try to do, respond appropriately to him. Respond to God. Respond to him. 